Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Arian, and I just wanted to deliver a quick disclosure. I am currently an employee of Warner Brothers Entertainment, and any feedback and opinions that I have are solely my own and are not a reflection of the company. All right, you guys, season two is on and popping, and we are here with the very first edition of the Biology of Superheroes podcast, Minisodes. Mini. I'm your host, Darian Darby, and I'm joined here, of course, by the incomparable Dr. Shane Campbell-Staten. What's going on? And we're giving this format a new tryout to see if you guys like it. It's going to be a little bit shorter. It's going to be a lot more interactive with uh, all of our listeners here. And it's really going to be more of an up-to-date mini-sode about what's going on in the world of science and comics brought to you by yours truly. So... Without further ado, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the world of science and comics. And I'll kick it off because there's some really cool things going on in the land of comic books. So what have you been reading lately, by the way? I've actually been reading a lot of everything. But what's really been capturing my attention lately is this new run on X-Men. Okay. Yeah, it's a series that's being done by Jonathan Hickman and artists Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva, and it's called House of X and Powers of X. It's basically uh, this two-book series run that kind of bounces back and forth between House and Power every issue, and it's a mini-series, so it only lasts for 12 issues total, but it's an amazing starting point for people who have no idea what's going on in the world of comics, and specifically the X-Men, to hop on board this story that's really going to change the course of these characters' lives and their impact on the Marvel Universe for years to come. I may have to check that out, because I feel like sometimes, you know, trying to just, like, jump into the middle of an entire universe can be completely overwhelming. And, like, sometimes you, like, just pick a random issue, and you're like, but wait, what, what's happening? Why, why are they mad at each other? And, like, what's going on? So it's, like, good to have, like, a, a natural starting point where you can, like, take a step in and sort of realize you get brought along with, uh, with the arc as it develops. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even for myself, when I'm trying to get into a new character, it does require a lot of research if you're approaching it from the comic book end because you just don't quite know when the story starts or begins or what are some of the bigger milestones that might have happened to that that led to the character being perceived in a new way for the overall franchise. And so like, just having that clear of an understanding of where you can get in and when's a good time to get in is huge. And like the coolest thing about this is that it's a really good series and it's a just about to wrap up. So they'll probably collect all of these things into trade paperbacks so that you can just kind of read it in one sitting. But I've actually been following this series along uh, issue by issue and it's been incredible. So let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. Basically, the X-Men have founded their own nation on this island called Krakoa. And if you know anything about the story of the X-Men, there's always just been this, this headbutting between mutants and human society. And the mutants are never quite accepted by human society, and they've always felt ostracized and pushed to the edge. And in this run that Hickman's put together, they're really taking matters into control and in their own hands. And so uh, what they've done is they've actually used the 
technology, let's call it, on the island of Krakoa that's very unique to uh, the situation there where they've developed these three specific drugs that have a game-changing impact on human lives. And so one of the drugs increases human life by five years. The second cures all mental illnesses. And the third is like a universal antibiotic. And so they're basically like the entire mutant population of the world is in exchange for access to these drugs, requesting amnesty and for their sovereignty to be recognized by the leaders of the human world. So they're using this as a political tool to finally get the rights and respect and self-autonomy that they've been seeking for generations. This is like science as leverage, basically. Science as leverage. That's interesting. And it's crazy. Like through this series, like you're exposed to plot threads throughout time. And so it kind of jumps 10 years into the future and 100 years into the future and 1,000 years into the future. And it's all spelling out how this never-ending conflict between humans and mutants evolves through time, throughout the centuries, and ultimately what impact it has on Earth and for the greater Marvel Universe. And I think that what's going to happen is... Once the series wraps up, they're going to kick off this brand new start for the X-Men and everyone's going to kind of move forward from there. But like the writing's compelling. There's tons of plots and twists. The action's amazing. All of your favorite X-Men show up if you're a big fan of the characters in that franchise. And yeah, I I think it's just an amazing starting point for old fans that haven't visited an X-Book in a while and new fans that are trying to find a way in. That's interesting. I think you know the the story as you laid it out actually reminds me. I mean, a lot of like our own history. Like if we think about, you know, the history of like human like colonization and takeover, and like in the role of like technology and science played in in that whole process. I mean, it was pretty central, right? If we think about like the coming of technology, like be it, you know, horses as you know as a military advantage or guns or you know, the role of like, you know, biological agents, like things like, you know, like diseases being introduced to like native peoples and so on, and how those things like really change the tides of a lot of history. It's interesting to see that paralleled in the, uh, in the, in the Marvel universe as well. Yeah. And, and with the X-Men, what's interesting too, is because they're mutants, they've always sort of had this leverage over humanity in the sense that they're the next evolution to humans in some ways. And obviously they're embedded with these inherent superpowers and abilities that have always made them a factor but they've in the past always kind of used their powers to in the case case of like Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to to maybe leverage humanity into uh, bending to their will and obviously X-Men and Charles Xavier are are kind of trying to use their powers for good Uh, but at at the end of the day I, I think this is an interesting approach too because they're using this technology or this this advantage um, from kind of a, a, a technological medicinal perspective and trying to do a geopolitical play um, that'll hopefully have a longer lasting repercussion on, on their status in the world. So um, it, it's just a, a unique approach to even how mutants are, are leveraging their advantages in, in a way that I don't think I've seen before. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So that's one of the latest and greatest things going on in comics. And if you have an opportunity to check it out, I highly encourage you to do so. I think you will not be disappointed. And Shane, what about you, man? What's going on in the world of science? Oh, the world of science. Um, Let's see. So for me, so last episode, you know, we chatted about Black Panther at the International Wildlife Film Festival. Um, which I think was an, an awesome conversation. You know, we interviewed some amazing scientists. And 
a big part of that conversation revolved around vibranium. So this incredible material that is pretty much endemic to the world of Wakanda itself uh, and is very rare elsewhere. And it's super strong and it uh, has like these amazing like energetic properties like super energy absorbent, etc. And in part of that conversation, we were really interested in sort of what in the real world could potentially mimic what we see with vibranium. And the closest I could get uh, were uh, mater materials known as carbon nanotubules, which are, you know, they're synthetic materials that are the strongest, stiffest materials uh, yet discovered. And they also have these really interesting thermal and electroconductance uh, properties. But recently I just found this paper uh, talking about carbon nanotubules that actually really brought to mind like the potential advantage of this sort of material like carbon nanotubules or vibranium for a character like Spider-Man, like somebody who is using materials to like actually engineer weapons, in his case, uh, his spider silks. So, you know, carbon nanotubules, they have a specific strength that's like 300 times the strength of high carbon steel, um, you know, which makes it incredibly, incredibly strong. And in 2015, there was a group of, an, of Italian researchers that published an experiment in which they actually sprayed spiders, live spiders, with a solution of graphene and carbon, and carbon nanotubules. Those spiders then uh, spun that silk and incorporated those materials, creating a bionic silk that actually displays significantly improved mechanical properties. Now, essentially, it makes that, that silk stronger than even really high-performance polymers, things like Kevlar. Now, what's more is that those carbon nanotubules, they have a greater thermoconductive and greater electroconductive properties than normal silk, which actually may provide some additional utility for these bionic silks. So when we're thinking about Spider-Man designing specialized silks to deal with superpower villains like Electro, you know, that have, you know, superpowers that may require like some, you know, some specialized skills or some specialized material, we can, you know, it's really interesting to think of, you know, Peter Parker in the lab, you know, running experiments with live spiders in the same way that these Italian scientists did uh, in the real world, you know, combining carbon nanotubules with uh, spiders to create, you know, this crazy bionic silk with all these crazy mechanical properties. So, ah, it's so cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty dope. And it's giving me all of the early season one throwback vibes to the first couple of episodes that we did with Spider-Man and <laughs> yeah. some of the Black Panther love that we just got through. So I'm loving that. Man. Oh, dude, that's a throwback right there. Those are literally our first two episodes on Spider-Man. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, we'd like to take a quick moment to acknowledge some of the listeners here that have hopped onto the iTunes uh, an Apple podcast platform to leave us a, a rating and review. Um, it's, it's so important for us in terms of our, our growth and obviously being able to connect with you guys and hear more about what you like and maybe would like to see improved upon in the show. And as a little thank you, we'd love to give you guys a, a couple of shout outs for those of you leaving reviews there. So if you're able to, please do head over to the Apple Podcasts or iTunes section and find our show. Leave us an honest rating and we'll read your review live on air here in our mini-sodes. And so the two reviews we'd like to give a shout out to today are our very first review ever for the podcast on the Apple platform. Uh, and it comes from Andy Majeka. 
And he says that the show comes from passion. And what really excites me about this podcast is the passion. Uh, this was definitely made by two individuals who really love what they talk about. Looking forward to this series. Recognize. So, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate you having uh, the chance to tune in and hope you're enjoying season two so far. Then the second review we have coming from Tersigal, and he says, so excited it's back. These are the kinds of discussions you wished comic book writers would have before they started writing. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's incredibly high praise. Uh, I, I imagine these guys that are creating and, and gals that are creating the, the comics are, are having these conversations. And, you know, even in some of the issues I'm reading, I'm reading this series called Immortal Hulk, and it's, it's like really deep um, and introspective. And uh, the guy is digging a lot into psychology and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I'm sure those conversations are occurring, but maybe they're not necessarily manifesting themselves in, in print the way that uh, an extended audio format yeah. uh, where two guys get to like go really deep in on the issues uh, can, can afford to bring to light. But um, appreciate the high praise. Yeah. I, I wonder exactly who's getting incorporated in those conversations when they do when they do happen. Right? Like, I wonder, you know, how many, you know, how many times like, you know, comic book artists and comic book writers actually get together with scientists to, to discuss these things. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting because I, I, I'd imagine maybe on movies for sure they might have some consultants here and there come in, but with the actual comic book writing from issue to issue and, and how quickly sometimes those things get turned around, um, yeah. So if there are any writers out there uh, and that would like to get in touch with Shane, hit me up. Feel free. <laughs> All right, and lastly, wanted to introduce you to a segment we're calling Comic Book Queries. Comic book queries has its own theme song. <laughs> so if you guys follow us on any of the platforms we're on, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and shoot us a comment in the stream or a DM, just having a question about something we talked about in the episode or a comment or a thought that kind of generated a spark on your end, we'd love to hear it. Uh, so please do come to us with those questions because in these minisodes, we intend to uh, put some of them on air and kind of address them further. So without further ado, we have one coming from a listener named Kamadina. Sure, that's a, a username or maybe not. But at any rate... This is from Twitter? This is actually from our streamed comment section on Podbean. So I'm assuming they might have been actually following us on Podbean to be able to leave that comment there, but that's where we got it from. So thank you for listening and thank you for sharing your thoughts here. And what they said was, this is in regards to episode three, The Flash of Two Worlds, so from season one. And they say, while it is interesting, a redo of evolution may result in development of the same species, I'm having a hard time believing that the same individuals would exist within the species. All it would have taken would be a missed chance encounter between ancestors in my family line, one of my ancestors dying in childhood, one different choice that might have changed when two ancestors had sex, etc., that would have completely changed the development of the family line. So extrapolating that across time and across the population, given many people share common ancestry, 
I'm pretty certain I would never have been born, let alone anyone else, and the world would now be populated with entirely different individuals. Thoughts? Yes, yeah, so th- this is this is interesting. Um, you know, because um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I completely agree. Right. So when we're talking about this idea of the repeatability of evolution, you know, it basically you're essentially pitting two ideas of, against each other. Like one is the role of chance. The other is the role of fate, so to speak. In evolutionary biology, this all started with uh, Stephen Jay Gould, who's like one of the fathers of what we call the modern evolutionary synthesis. He sort of helped us to understand evolution as, as it exists today. And he started this whole thought experiment by proposing, like replaying the tape of life, right? And you can, we talk about this in the Flash of Two Worlds episode, but he said, you know, if you replay the tape, do you get the same results over and over again, right? And that would be the repeatability. And his point was exactly exactly uh, what uh, Comedina's point is, is that, you know, chance plays too much of a role in our lives in order to get a high degree of repeatability. So if you rewound the tape, he said, and you play it a million times, you'd never get anything that closely resembled humans as a species again, let alone individuals within that species. So I think in that sense, you know, um, you and Stephen Jay Gould are like right on the same page. But at the same time, we also see that the repeatability of evolution is apparent, you know, in in other aspects, in the sense of, you know, when you give specific um, species or populations the same challenge, in some cases, they do come up with very, very similar ways of solving those same problems, uh, you know, but so, for instance, if we consider things like, you know, the wings of a bat and a butterfly and a bird, right? I mean, these are all, you know, very similar, um, you know, anatomical structures. They all allow them to fly, which is, you know, a very unique thing uh, across the tree of life. But if you look at, you know, a bird wing and a bat wing, and a butterfly wing, you're never going to get them confused with each other because they all look pretty different. It's pretty easy to tell one from the other. So in that case, it's not exactly repeatable. And then if you go even deeper, like the genes that are associated with the development of, you know, those different structures are also probably similar and then probably even different in terms of like the types of mutations that pop up within those genes. So on that, that finest scale, there is there are idiosyncratic changes, right? Sort of one-off changes that then at higher levels actually lead to very similar results. So this idea of the repeatability of evolution can actually be thought of at multiple levels. But at the end of the day, like if we're thinking about the appearance of like a Barry Allen as an individual again and again and again across universes, I think you and Stephen Jay Gould are on the same page in the sense that chance would just be too great of um it, chance would be too great of a property you know thinking about four and a half billion years playing out independently you know with no influence on each other i just think it would be at the end of the day ultimately impossible to get the same individuals over and over again cool so thank you Camadina, and thank you shane for taking that on i wasn't even entirely sure what I was reading, but I'm glad <laughs> you were able to make sense of it for the rest of the listening public. I got you. I got your back, homie. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs>
All right, and that concludes our very first mini-sode for the Biology of Superheroes podcast. And it was such a pleasure being able to be with you guys again this month. I hope you're enjoying this format. We're giving it a new try. So let us know if it's working, what you like, what you'd maybe like to hear more from us about. And feel free to reach out to us on any social platform that you might come across us. We love engaging with you guys. If it's on your heart to leave us a review and subscribe because you're digging the content so much, please do so. And don't forget that we are reading these reviews live on the Minisode episodes from the Apple Podcast Network. So if you do it there, we'll find it and we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. And... Just a quick heads up, we've got our next full-length episode coming up November 1st, and we are going to be featuring and focusing on the Hulk. Absolutely. This is like one of my all-time favorite characters, my main man, Bruce Banner. The, you know, Hulk is the strongest there is. And I think this episode, you know, we're going to dive into some of the biology of the Hulk. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that is... Um, you know, that you kind of have to black box with the Hulk in terms of like, you know, getting gargantuan like so quickly and so on and so forth. But I actually think, you know, this is going to be really interesting because we're going to dive into some stress physiology, try to understand exactly what stress is biologically and how we respond to it. And then also we're going to dig a little bit into psychology in that episode, um, dealing a little bit with, you know, things like dissociative identity disorder, exactly what happens when you have you know, two different consciousnesses, like sharing the same brain, you know, in much the same way that Bruce Banner and the Hulk do. Uh, so I think that's going to be an exciting episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. And so until then, listeners, be the hero of your own story, and we'll see you next time.